Looking to learn life lessons without going through the experience? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Hidden Struggles with your host, Lady C. Hey, hey, this is Lady C. I want to welcome you to Hidden Struggles. And in this upcoming episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about ambition and talking about this with a friend of mine. And we both have the same background coming from the Jehovah's Witness group. And we're going to be talking to Ivy and she's going to be sharing her experience about what it was like not being able to pursue her goals and dreams and why she did those things and why she couldn't do those things and what she's doing now. So, Ivy, I want to welcome you to the platform. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> and look, we've, been, we've been really planning this for a while now. And it's just, I know. we have so much to talk about. And it's like, you it know. is so great to be here doing this now. So you want to kind of like share with uh, my listening audience, you know, a little bit about ambition and what your experience has been like in that arena. Oh, my goodness. So I've always been an ambitious person. And I remember when I was a teenager and then early 20s being exposed to and around the Jehovah's Witness faith, ambition was something that you only geared or steered towards the organization itself. So you can strive for more hours in the ministry, right? You could pioneer, you could do uh, seldom work territory, like all these things, Bethel missionary service. But I was not allowed or encouraged, I would say, to pursue my own desires. So I didn't get baptized until like my 20s, but I wanted to go to college. So I did, but only for a year. I wanted to get my PhD in psychology gave up on that because it would take too much time away from the ministry. I might be learning things that were conflicting with their teachings. Um, I wanted to do sports, didn't get to do that. My goal was to get a scholarship to college for track and field and then pursue the Olympics. Like I wanted to always be on a larger stage um, with my professions, with my ambitions. I saw myself as like on TV, you know, I grew up in that Disney kid era Um, Nickelodeon kids, you know, I always found that fascinating to be in front of people to inspire hope, to to fun, encourage people to to live their best life, to encourage people to use their voices. Um, I thought it would always be a good medium for me because of my personality, right? How outgoing I am. So I, I didn't get to do any of those things. Now, granted, I could go back and do those things, but it would take a, a considerable amount of effort and dedication to, let's say get into shape to be able to qualify to compete at a national track and field competition that's a pre-qualifier for the Olympics, like it would take a lot of time. Or for example, if I went back to try to get my PhD in psychology, I wouldn't be able to really pursue that career or benefit from it financially for at least another 10 years, right? Have to pursue a bachelor's, then go to a master's, then go to a PhD, And we're not even going to talk about the costs associated with that. So um, I wanted to model as well because of my height, 5'11". And of course, you can't do that. Anything that will require limelight or for, for me to be the center of attention or to be the one driving that initiative, it was a no go. <laughs> you cannot have too much attention on yourself. You have to be humble. You have to put yourself last and put other people before you. Um, over time, of course, discouraged, especially if it runs into meeting times or it's not going to allow you to make the meetings or if it's on the weekends and it'll take you away from service, yada, yada, yada. So there was just a lot of things that I wanted to do and wanted to explore as a creative person, obviously an ambitious person that I constantly had to put on the back burner. 
constantly had to reel myself in. I can totally relate to that because most women were in that arena and you really couldn't um, pursue that much in the congregation either. But, you know, and then what made the pivot, the change? I do know that you are um, getting ready. You're you're in the process of writing a book that's going to drop on March the 6th and it's called Sex, Love and Fornication, which I I'm kind of interested in finding out what that's all about. And <laughs> I do, you had mentioned that you um, wanted to model when you yes. were a witness, but you are doing those things now. So that I is am. part of your pivot. But you want to kind of talk a little bit about these pursuits that you have? So I have always written as an outlet, right? And I know we'll get more into my backstory and the nuances of what happened to me throughout my 20 years of service as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. All those writings, obviously, nothing happened with them. They just filled up notebooks upon notebooks. And my current partner, he's the one who inspired me to be like, you need to just go ahead and do it. It doesn't matter if he becomes a bestseller. It doesn't matter if it's in the hands of everybody or international, whatever. He was like, you just need to do this for yourself because it's something that you've always held dear to yourself. So that's the zone that I'm in now is just realizing that I don't necessarily have to make up for lost time because I do know that that is a thought. It is an anxiety that most ex-Jehovah's Witnesses feel like, oh my gosh, I dedicated all my life, all this time to something that's not even real. And how do I get back that time, right? Because we all sacrificed ourselves, like literally, not just our physical selves, but mentally, emotionally, our ambitions. We sacrificed our ambitions um, to serve that organization. So the pivot for me now that I'm out, basically is the mindset that if you're not a part of that organization, you can still be successful. You can still make the rules. You can establish the compass for your life. And so once I kind of wrap my mind around that and realize I didn't have to be mentally shackled to their version of a good person or a successful person, that's what also has allowed me to be more accepting of just going out and, and getting it regardless of what it is. And so outside of the book, I'm also modeling now. So I started that about mm, 18 months ago and it's been going really well. Do I want to be an international model? Sure, if it happens. But in the meantime, I have satisfaction in knowing that something that I always wanted to do, I can still do it. I can still own that ambition and passion for myself. I also am an entrepreneur. So me and my partner started a business. We're pretty much like a talent staffing agency for creatives. So visual artists, musicians, similar to like a Robert Half or a K-Force, how they'll staff people for technology jobs or administrative gigs. We do that for creatives, local creatives, is that we get them gigs and we negotiate, you know, the payment terms and logistics and all that with corporations and businesses here in the Tampa Bay area. So those are things, obviously, I would not be doing if I was one of Jehovah's Witnesses still. Um, And if I know if I was to do that, I would face heavy criticism and probably be marked or labeled within the congregation and have to suffer that uh, alienation even within the congregation. So that's a whole situation. And then we're launching our nonprofit to help individuals like ourselves who have exited, who want to exit. Um, maybe who pe- people are still having a hard time with their exit and then anybody associated with them, family, friends, kids that are still trying to overcome the difficulties and challenges that come with 
our specific niche, right? We have our own unique challenges. So the pivot was mental first. Secondary was having someone that was supportive and encouraging. And then the third, third step was just believing in myself enough to just take a chance on myself. I think all of what you said is really good because uh, a lot of times, you know, we get emails from people from all over the world and they talk about their experiences and they talk about how their life is over. And the day that I received an email from a 21 year old person that was like, my life is over and I can't. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, do you realize that you still have your whole life ahead of you? But I guess because they felt like they wanted to do that at 18, they felt mm-hmm. like they just couldn't get started. And I'm and I and I talked to. I think the average person that we talk to is like 34 to 36 when they're actually waking up. So, you know, when you're that young, you still got the whole world ahead of you. And so I I try to tell people, don't, you know, let that deter you. Don't let your age be a factor of you not being able to pick up and move on. But um, I also remember hearing you just saying that you didn't get your bachelor's degree. So how are you making it in the world that we live in without that? So I mean, a lot of things about a lot of these degrees are not even needed in some cases. So I agree with that statement. At first, probably like back in 2014, um, I was really nervous because I hadn't had a bachelor's degree yet. And I'm a lifelong learner. I'm a person who actually enjoys going to school. Like I enjoy the lectures. I enjoy the homework. I enjoy learning. That's my first strength is taking in information, figuring out ways to share it or disseminate it to other people, which is probably why I was really effective as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Oftentimes I'll hear people say like, are you a pioneer? Are you? And I'm like, no, you know, I just enjoy learning and sharing, right? So as an individual, I wanted to acquire my bachelor. So when I went back into the official workforce, I literally had to network and hustle. Um, I started off with a job that was like paying me fourteen twenty five. <laughs> I had got it through a temp agency and I was like, okay, I just need to pay bills and I need to not get evicted and be homeless again, <laughs> which of course we will talk about, you know, in another episode as to how that came along. But literally I went from one department to the next leveling up researching in the company, knowing my rights, um, knowing which departments have the best outcomes Um, which ones offered bonuses, you know, like literally you have to do all this research. So I self-promoted every time. So I've been with the same company for 10 years and I'm probably on my fifth role. And each time I promote myself, meaning look for opportunities that are more suited to my transferable skills and that will build upon what I'm doing in my current role, each time it has come with a significant raise. So that's how I'm able to survive for me personally. And I know that's not everybody's journey. They don't have those resources available to them. Um, But I will say multiple streams of income are also important. Absolutely. Like even even mm-hmm. though I work full time, I'll still do a gig here and there for some extra income. I'll do side hustles, you know, the book, the business, like other things that can lead to income. Because you know how it goes. If you, you're not ambitious in that organization, guess what you don't have? Roth, 401ks, CDs, retire. You, you don't really invest in those things That's because right. guess what? You're not going to need them in the new world. Money's going to be obsolete in the new world, right? Yeah. Your degrees are going to be obsolete in the new world. And it's like, okay. I get that, but don't you have degreed people serving at the branch? True. <laughs> I, I want to step back a little bit about what you just got through saying because you you talked about you self-promoted on a job. And mm-hmm. this is what I wanted to really kind of um, double-click on. 
is the fact that a lot of people that that are leaving the religion, they don't have that degree. And so just listening to you talk about how you were able to, you know, you got your ambition going on. You like to learn, self-promote and things like that. So that could be very encouraging for someone who don't have a degree or don't have any credentials and things like that to see, hey, look, here's a person that's on a, a platform talking about her experience and yeah. she was making it and did okay without all that extra piece of paper that people, you know, don't have when they leave this religion. So I really like that. I like, I like what you're saying about that. And, and you know, a lot of times it, it's, it's also what people see in you, you know, because <laughs> somebody could be hearing your experience and may, they may try to do the same thing, but just looking at you and seeing, you know, how ambitious you are just talking, you know, shows me that, Hey, look, she's really out here. Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm determined to be a millionaire. I'm determined to be a millionaire. Like, there's no reason with my mind, with my health, with my intelligence, with my ability to network and connect to people that I cannot be a millionaire. So, you know, one of the practices I have now is just retraining my mind, mm-hmm. being okay with taking a risk because that ambition is snuffed. And it doesn't get a chance to be cultivated or nourished coming out of the organization. Being ambitious can be a scary thing because you're not used to putting all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, because you have Jehovah. You have that source you feel you're tapping into. You feel like that source is what's making you successful. You feel like it's because you're you're demonstrating all these fruitages of the spirit and you're a hard worker, as mentioned in Proverbs and the ants and all the things, Right. You think that's all because of the organization and Jehovah, not realizing that those things are you. All of that extra was just a guide. You are still intelligent. You're still creative. You're still a master networker. You're still articulate. You're still great at public speaking. I mean, you can go for public speaking gigs and get paid two, three, five thousand dollars just to speak Mm -hmm. for 45 minutes, if that. So think about it. All the time we spent on stage, all the time we spent talking to people in the ministry for free. You can now monopolize on that skill that you've acquired and make some actual money. We got a lot of transferable skills from the organization. I know we can't stand what they did to us and what they're doing to others. However, my advice is to still be able to appreciate what you got or what you learned from this life experience and then flip that to your own advantage. And that's what I'm doing. That is so great. I'm so glad to hear that. And I, and I got to I got to take a little step back a little bit about what you just got through saying about the transferable skills, because, you know, when I was a Jehovah's Witness in this religion, I would say that you only get out of it what you put in it. And I don't believe that everybody was a good speaker just because you were a Jehovah's Witness going out and knocking on doors did not automatically make this person a, a good speaker. speaker, because I try to tell people all the time when they say this. That's the reason why the brothers were always putting people to sleep because there was a lot of brothers were elders for years and they were putting people to sleep all the time at the, on the platform. So it's like, don't keep, yes. people, don't keep making people think that they were good speakers just because they were going no. door to door. Yeah. Just because you're getting airtime don't mean that. It doesn't mean that. I, yes, here's right. what I think about it. I feel like being a Jehovah's Witness going out in service and going door to door helped me overcome my fear of talking to people. Yes. It didn't, it didn't necessarily give me the gift of gab because I think I was going to always talk like I talk because this is the voice I was born with. You know, this is the personality that I have. So, you know, so everybody's not going to just automatically just leave this religion and just walk in someplace and start speaking and 
you <laughs> being like yeah. the next Zig Ziglar or something. It's, de- it's definitely a process, right? So there's a, yeah. a process for everything. Absolutely. Um, but the organization could have been a launch pad for that now that we're leaving, right? It could be a launch pad for someone getting into the hospitality industry. It could be a launch pad for someone starting their own lawn, landscaping, HVAC business. You know, so it just depends on how deep you're trying to look and go within Mm -hmm. yourself to say, what am I naturally good at? What makes me happy? And then how can I do that now for my own benefit, right? Because we're not under obligation anymore, Mm -hmm. which some of us probably struggle with is the fact that we now have to essentially be self-funded. We have to muster up the thing within us and counteract that whole thought process of you need God's spirit to do this. Right. Well, Ivy, how long, you know, did it take you to, you know, get on this path that you're on after leaving the organization? Well, let me see. I've been out since 2020. And I would say some of these epiphanies and just ability to accept what was happening probably took me a good 18 months. The first 18 months, I went through a variety of emotions, going back, not going back, you know, back and forth, ping-ponging. And there were just some things that I was like, I don't think I want to sacrifice that because I feel like it was a personal comfort, a personal decision. For example, being ambitious at my job, wanting to promote, you know, wanting to get to those senior executive suite levels, I knew it was going to be frowned upon and I didn't want to go through that. So that's one of the reasons why I never went back. Um, But it did take me a good 18 months. It took me thinking like for myself, going to therapy, um, unlearning certain things, exploring new concepts and beliefs on my own. Like I had to do, and I'm still doing a lot of mental and psychological heavy lifting to achieve the things that I want to achieve. But I do feel like it's worth it because I'm, again, I'm investing in me, you know? So if I, if I don't achieve a goal, it's a learned lesson. It's, it's going to be something that helps me get to where I'm going faster. So I don't look at obstacles as deterrents or like I'm being persecuted. That's just the ebb and flow of life. (laughs) When you're determined to do something, you keep going despite the challenges or the obstacles that are presented before you. So it does take a lot of mental fortitude to push forward, to overcome that programming, to believe in yourself, to keep going. So I'm not going to lie to the audience and say like, oh, Overnight, instant, you know, sensation, like here's how it goes. No, it takes time. It, it's painful. You're going to shed some tears. You're going to go through a roller coaster of emotions. You're going to have your doubts. You're going to want to give up. You're going to question, why am I doing this? Um, you may even have moments where you're like, I don't want to live because I just can't function in this world outside of the organization. Those thoughts and feelings are all normal. But I'm here to tell you that you have what it takes. You can do it. And remember to have fun while you're doing it. That's the whole thing. I feel like a lot of us were robbed of the of the fun of exploring and the fun of, you know, trying to figure out who we are, what we want to do. So definitely infuse some of that fun back. Realize this is your life and you can make it whatever you want to make it, you know. So and I get it. Everybody doesn't have that 
ambition, everybody doesn't feel that way at first. So I would just say explore those possibilities. Start writing, journaling, whatever works for you. Make a small bucket list and then go from there. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I I just love your energy because, you know, like they always say, iron sharpens iron. And if you're around people that constantly tell you, no, you can't do that, which is the environment that we came from, then any type of, you know, interest that you ever had was squashed. So at that point, now you've got to dig yourself back up out of this, you know, this bucket or this pail that you've been put into this box. Now you can come out and look around and say, oh, wow, there's a whole world open to me. And I think just talking to you and just sharing your experience and how you've become a whole new person after leaving kind of helps people to see that, hey, look, I can do this, too. You know, so I'm just really glad that you did, uh, you know, come out and share that uh, experience about, you know, how how you became um, ambitious after leaving. So anyway, so Ivy, we're going to go ahead and uh, close out on this uh, discussion right now, because in the next episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about how you became a Jehovah's Witness (laughs) before coming to this part of your life. Exactly. (laughs) That sounds great. So we'll so look. So we're gonna see y'all in the next episode. Oh, please do come back because it's gonna be juicy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Hidden Struggles with your host, Lady C. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers. Online at hiddenstruggle.com. Feel free to send an email to info at hiddenstruggle.com, and we'll catch you next time on Hidden Struggles. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Critical Thinkers.